0: Good morning, this is Get Your Kids Back Now. This show is dedicated to keeping families together and to fighting the tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. A secondary purpose of this show is to educate parents and relatives or to at least show them where to go to get the necessary information for their fight. The final purpose of this show is to remind people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box, at the state and federal levels. Let us unite, vote, and elect those who have and will make the necessary changes for our families. Good morning. Today's show, we're going to take some calls um, in the first part of the show. In the second part of the show, we're going to have a therapist by the name of Christo Booth, who is going to come on and talk about what she does for parents in the juvenile dependency cases here in Los Angeles County. Uh, she has an agency that provides, I believe, domestic violence counseling, individual counseling, and I think substance abuse counseling. She's one of those services where when the court orders you to do certain things, she's, her agency is one of those agencies that, um, those services to parents. So she'll be calling in at the, uh, 830 hour, the second half of the show. The first part of the show, before I take some calls, I want to talk about some cases that I personally am involved in right now. Um, up in Northern California, I am personally representing a parent who is accused of not being able to care for her children because, the main allegation is is that she has uh, mental and emotional conditions um, that prevent her from caring from the, for her children. And the case started when she went to have uh, to the hospital to have her baby, and um, she allegedly left her other two or three children at home uh, without a caretaker. Now, I am told that there was a caretaker. Um, But when the Department of Children, not the Department of Children and Family Services, when CPS got involved, uh, he left the area, left the geographic area, and he cannot be found to come testify because he thinks that he's going to be prosecuted criminally for leaving children alone. Uh, What exacerbates the situation is after the mother had the child, apparently she got in an argument with the doctor. Um, and granted, that's not a smart thing to do, and the doctor had her committed under what's called a 5150, a psychiatric hold um, in one of the county hospitals uh, where she had the baby. Now, her was, she was admitted about 3 a.m. in the morning, and she was released about 10 a.m. in the morning when the regular crew came in, and they evaluated her and they said, basically, you know, nothing was wrong, that she wasn't a danger to herself or others. But before she was released, CPS had swooped in with the police and taken her children into custody. And now she's fighting to get them back. I'm, you know, I'm not a therapist. Um, I had a client evaluated by an expert and the expert says, you know, there's, you know, she has a few quirks. But she's not mentally unstable and she's not a danger to her children, which is the most important part. And we plan to have him testify at uh, the upcoming trial. My client is also going to be taking another evaluation of another psychiatrist uh, so that we have at least two evaluations uh, to go to court with from two different psychologists uh, who will hopefully testify that, you know, She's not mentally or emotionally unstable and that um, she can care for her children. Um, There's an issue in this case. Uh, It's interesting. Um, I've seen two pages of her medical records, and one of the medical records say ABC, and then another copy of the medical records has something written. Nobody knows who wrote it in, um, and it says uh, ABCD, you know, so there's two different versions of medical records. We're trying to find out who hand-wrote this. Apparently nobody at the hospital is owning up to writing handwriting into the discharge summary, uh, certain comments. That could be construed to be used against the mother. So we have that issue as well. The listeners posted on the outcome of this case and the progress of this case The case has been set for trial for five days in this particular county. And because it's a long cause case, um, it's been assigned to a civil judge. And the civil judge in this county apparently does long cause cases for juvenile court, uh, juvenile dependency court. And we're going to have hopefully a civil judge um, who will be, I'm hoping, tight on the procedure and tight on the evidentiary rulings, um, because that's what he or she normally does. I'm going to take uh, our first call right now. It's from area code 650, ending in 1-2. Good morning, Your Honor with Attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask?
1: I have a actually I called in last weekend and I have a follow up question regarding what um, I asked about um, my possibility for a housing voucher because I can't move back into my boyfriend's house at this point because his mother doesn't want me there so my lawyer is going to be trying to fight for housing for me so I sent her the podcast yeah. from last yeah I sent her the podcast from last week and she said that um, there's an issue because there's not an there's no more uh, FUP vouchers left, is there, is there a certain amount that they only have per county for the family unification program um, vouchers? Well,
0: you know, that's a very interesting uh, question because I do know that the vouchers run from county to county. However, and this is a big however, I, yeah. what I was talking about was not vouchers. I was talking about CPS actually paying for your rent pursuant okay. to Welfare Institution's Code Section 16,500. Now, I okay. do know that a lot of counties, um, when they do help with uh, housing, they use these vouchers. But, mm-hmm. And then they claim that afterwards, um, you know, after they give them all out, that, uh, you know, they don't have any more resources. Um, I okay. think that that is improper and violating the law. I think that they, the Department of Children and Fam, well, CPS on your county, whatever it's yeah. called, has to pay for your housing if that's the issue, one of the issues, of you not getting your children. Now, whether they do right. it with a voucher or otherwise, that's their business. That's not your concern.
1: Okay. And then
0: I just have another quick part of
1: this question. So my HIPAA laws were violated by our Dyad therapist, right? So, which is part of the reason I can't go home because she shared – uh, confidential information with the son of my boyfriend who has nothing to do with this case at all, right? So in turn, he took that information and used it against me with the grandma. So can I use that, because I grieved her, but can I use that maybe as a potential for them as another reason that they need to help me pay for rent?
0: Um, I'm not sure how you would parlay that into getting the rent paid. But, um, well, because, she, mean, if, of because of
1: what she did, I couldn't go home. I mean, that's a big part of the reason I can't go home.
0: Well, I don't think the county has anything to do with what, you know, the non-county employee okay. did. Well, she's part of CPS. Uh, I'm confused. What do you mean?
1: She's the therapist through CPS for Dyad Therapy.
0: Like, she was um,
1: given to us for our family therapist, but she's through CPS. She's like a partnership for th- or through CPS, and she violated my HIPAA law. Okay, so is she
0: a CPS employee?
1: Um, I
0: think it's the partners program.
1: I'm not I'm in San Mateo County, what, so I don't
0: What County are you in?
1: San Mateo County.
0: Okay. So um I don't think that you can say oh. she's part of C what I would talk to an attorney about is possibly filing a complaint against her and or suing her if you can. She's not supposed yeah, to a Yeah, I did, I did file a grievance. Yeah, I filed a grievance on her. A yeah. grievance with who?
1: With the um, Department of... I can't remember right this second. I, I think it was a while ago, but she... Um, all they did was talk to her about it so they she wouldn't do it to somebody else.
0: But... Okay, that's not the type of um, claim I was talking about. Okay. You can file What's an claim? official complaint... You can file official complaint with a state agency to either okay. have her license uh, suspended or revoked and disciplinary okay. action taken against her. And I think you might want to talk to an attorney about this, but I think you can also sue her for violating your HIPAA rights.
1: Yeah. Now,
0: unfortunately, it won't, you know, I don't think have any effect in your juvenile dependency case with CPS. That's something yeah. that you should talk to your court-appointed attorney about. But one of the things I want to mention is, um, in the case that I was just talking about up north, they're using yeah. the my client's medical records to prove that she is emotionally unstable. However, my mm-hmm. client never signed the release of information, and oh, wow. uh, they're using and they're using this as the evidence against her. And because I'm having a trial in front of a civil judge, what, one of the things that we are going to be doing is having uh, filing motions in Lemonade, and I'm going to try to exclude those medical records from the record and from evidence. Um, but we'll see how that goes. Do right. you have any other questions for me today? Um, uh, just one more quick one. So
1: when I first, um, back in March, when CPS first got involved, when I got in legal trouble and... They were removing my daughter from the home. My mom happened to come on site, uh, to show up at the house to do the mom thing and check on me and the baby, right? And they did not turn her over to my mother that day. It, is that violating my, the law? Like, are they aren't they supposed to turn the child over to a, a family member if they're on if they're there? Or?
0: Well, you know that's an interesting question because the policies <laughs> and procedures for each county is a little different. However, okay. there is a section. Of- in the law, Welfare and Institutions Code Section 309. And 309 says that the departments or the CPS agency must do an investigation as to possible relatives Are your children that can be placements or possible what they call nephrons, friends of the family. Um, mm-hmm. Are your children foster care right now? No, we got
1: her back in 45 days, but she's still awarded of the court. So. Okay. But I'm just saying, my mom was my mom happened to pull up on this, you know, the site where we were at, and they didn't they didn't even give us or give my mom the option to take the baby.
0: Um, I always say that if a relative shows up, that they should get the relative. I mean, they should get the child. But um, the social yeah. worker does have some discretion and to investigate the situation. However, okay. under the law, they only have, they only have 30 days to investigate. And it sounds like they may have gone over, your, in your case, about two two weeks and one day. Yeah. Check but it out. You know, in, in the case itself, um, that's probably not of any value to you. If you yeah. wanted okay. to, um, you know, try to file some type of civil case for violation of your rights, you might be able to do that, and you should talk to an attorney about that. I'm not right. sure that that would be a big case, you know, but um, yeah. you know, technically, you know, they were supposed to do something within 30 days.
1: Any okay. other questions you have for me? No, but I just wanted to thank you again. I was a little confused last weekend, so now I'm going to talk to my lawyer about just about them paying for rent, for housing, not for the vouchers. So I, I, I'm, I'm more clear on that this time. So I really appreciate
0: all your help. All right. And don't forget you got to look at welfare and institutions, code sections 16,500, et cetera, and it will explain yeah. what the services you should be getting. Okay? Okay.
1: Yes. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. I'm going to take another call right now. It's area code 530, ending in 72. Hi. Good morning. You're Attorney Hi. Vince Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question me? to ask? loud and clear
2: yeah the, oh okay um yeah currently in in the dependency case that i'm involved in it's is um the, my grandchildren um the court has not yet considered my request for placement of the children with me as a relative and it's been eight months and i'm wondering what i can do um i tried to file a 388 petition to get that hearing the court refused to accept it um then I tried to file a notice of appeal. The court refused to accept it. Then I tried to file a notice of intent to file a writ petition, and the court refused to accept it. And then just this past week, there was a hearing, and I appeared for that hearing, and the court refused to hear me on the issue of relative placement. And it's been eight months. Okay. Okay,
0: do you have a pen and a piece of paper? I do, thank you. Okay, what county are you in? Butte, B-U-T-T-E. I've actually been in the Butte Juvenile Dependency Court. I think in that county, since it's such a small county, um, that particular judge or commissioner, as I recall, did family law and juvenile dependency. Is that correct?
2: Um, I, I believe the judge right now is only doing ju- juvenile dependency, but I'm not sure about, on that.
0: Okay. All right. So, first of all, I have to ask you a couple of questions. You said okay. you filed a P88 and the court refused to accept it. Did Correct. you mean that the, the clerk wouldn't file it for you or they filed it and the court rejected it?
2: No, I, I went to the court with my Section 388 petition requesting the hearing on relative placement, and the court clerk who I handed it to went back in the back with the judge, and the judge told the clerk to relay to me that she would not accept the petition.
0: Okay, I, so it I don't has think never that been that's.
2: Well, I know I that, but that's, that's what happened. But that's what happened. Hmm.
0: Okay.
1: And
2: then I tried to and file a couple of weeks later. I tried to file the notice of intent to appeal, and the judge refused to accept that too. The clerk told me the judge refused. And then um, I tried to file the notice of intent to file a writ petition, and the judge refused to accept that too.
0: Okay, so you can't file the notice of intent to file a writ.
2: Um, I can't file that's anything. Something,
0: that's something that's exclusively limited to parents. But you can file the um, the 388 and the, and the notice of appeal. Now, here's what I think you're going to have to do. You're going to have okay. to file a writ to the court of appeals in your district, stating that the judge refused to take a 388 petition uh, okay. from you, and yeah, uh, the will accept there, that, even
2: though. I'm sorry to interrupt. The the appeal court will accept that, even though the, the lower court didn't accept my notice of intent to file a writ?
0: The answer is yes.
2: Okay. All right. I'll do that.
0: Okay. Now, I had a similar situation down here in Los Angeles County. Let me tell you what the situation was. I represented a prior foster parent of the children and the children were taken away from her we filed a uh, some paperwork all the paperwork we're supposed to do to get a hearing and it was all denied and so we filed a, a notice of appeal and the okay. clerk of the court rejected it i think at the direction of the presiding judge I, i'm not sure but the clerk rejected it and said that we can't file an appeal because we didn't have standing of course yes. that was incorrect so, so we filed a right. writ to the um, court of Appeal And the Court of Appeal uh, Made the clerks File the Notice of Appeal So that we could have an appeal In the uh, in the court uh, With okay. the Court of Appeal So what you're going to have to do Is you're going to have to file a similar writ uh, in the judge Asking the judges at the Court of Appeal To uh, mandate That the um, Judge in that case Accept your 388 Now Here's okay. the thing. Once they accept your 388, she could deny it. So you might, you might want to file a 170.6 if you get the judge turned around, or you can file your 388 again if that judge has, made, has not made any official ruling on your case other than, hey, I'm not going to accept your writ.
2: Right. She hasn't considered relative placement. She just says she's not going to consider it.
0: Well, that would be, um, in my opinion, improper. I mean, unless there's some other facts you're not telling me.
2: No, she hasn't heard anything on it. She just she just delayed the hearing because um, Children's Services said we're going to delay the hearing on relative placement until I finished the resource family approval process. Well, that process was completed, and I filed a three eighty eight eight for the hearing, and the judge refused to accept it. So there's never been a, There's not been a hearing yet on relative placement. So- Okay, based upon what you're telling me, and
0: I haven't reviewed the file, but based upon what you're telling me, you need to file a writ, get it granted, and uh, then ask to file a 170.6 and get a new judge to hear your case.
2: What would the um, basis be on 170.6?
0: Well, once you get a judge overturned about something, you have the right to get a new judge. So if What would be the basis
2: for the 170.6? What, what would I say about how come the judge should be recused under 170.6? Under 170.6, you don't have to give a reason. Oh, okay. Well, the judge previously recused herself for cause in my case, but okay, I'll do a 170.6, no reason, except I don't like her hair color or whatever. Well, now
0: you've told me something that's even more interesting. What do you mean she recused herself for cause?
2: One of the issues in the case is that I um, I previously had a child removed from my care because he witnessed domestic violence, and the judge in that case, in that domestic violence case, is the same judge that's hearing this now. She re- she pre- she previous she recused herself for cause in that case, in the old case.
0: In the in the domestic. In the domestic
2: violence. violence. Yes, yeah, she recused herself for cause in that case because the person aware of the. Facts might reasonably entertain a doubt as to her ability to be impartial.
0: I see. It's impartial in what case? The juvenile case?
2: No, in the domestic violence case.
0: How, how would she know the facts of what happened in the domestic violence case?
2: She didn't hear that case because she recused herself for cause because under, I don't, it's it's under 170 someplace, but it was, it's not one of those like preemptory challenges. She recused herself for cause, saying that a person aware of the facts might reasonably entertain a doubt as to her ability to be impartial. Okay. All right.
0: Um, You know, one of the things that I have to recommend is that you find an attorney that's going to help you do this. You're treading through what what I would call a civil procedure field that's filled with landmines and booby traps. And, um, you know, I'm not sure of your particular expertise, but if you're going to file a writ or even a 388, um, you know, you're going to need some expert legal assistance. Additionally, yeah. here are some, additionally, here are some other things that you sh- should file or try to file. So number okay. one, of course, the, three, the 388 for placement of the child or children with you. Number two, okay. a de facto a de facto motion. Now a lot of people will tell you you can't file a de facto motion if you're not a current caretaker. You don't have right. to be a current caretaker. You can be a prior caretaker. Or here's a big or you can be a Charles S you can get Charles S what I call de facto standing or standing in the court. So you might want to Google that Charles and then last initial S period. It's a very S um, like Sam. S like Sam. Basically, okay. what Charles S says: If you're a relative and you come to court, and you should be given standing to give information to the court about the child or children. Okay. The next thing you should okay. file is a JV two eight five JV two eight five. Okay. Right. All right, and you should get relative all of information. Your relatives, um who want to participate in the case or want placement to file that JV285. The other thing that you should file is a petition, and I forget the, the number on this. It's, I think it's 550 or 585, something like that. Petition to disclose juvenile court records to you. You know, it's going to be okay. hard for you to go into court and you don't know what the social workers have said in, in reports about you. You don't know what the prior minute yeah. orders and rulings of the judge. So you want to get a petition to disclose those records. Okay. Um, number, number five, and this is very provocative what I'm going to tell you, uh, don't do this without any legal help. Um, you should file a petition for temporary guardianship and a petition for permanent legal guardianship.
2: Okay. okay? Okay. Alrighty. And permanent. Make sure you find Okay. Sure I that's under it's five seventy. The one that you were referring to for the disclosure, it's five seventy.
0: Okay. Very good. Okay. I know it was five something. So yeah. I'm gonna get, get get your ducks in a row and make sure you do this the right way because I think in my professional opinion of thirty one years, you're gonna win this one. Okay. And
2: the other question I have is that um we contacted, there was a hearing, there was the six month review hearing um, on Wednesday last week and um, the judge said that there was seven days from that date to file a writ petition and we immediately called, after that hearing, we, we immediately called the children's attorneys and um, the, the mother's attorney saying we wanted to have them file this writ within seven days and they haven't called us back, Monday's a holiday, the petition has to be filed by Tuesday, and they haven't even called us back. Is there? Are we going to lose some sort of right to file a writ petition if if somebody doesn't file that writ by Tuesday?
0: The answer is yes.
2: Yeah. And
0: but here's the good. Here's the good. Well, here's, let me give you the bad news first. You calling the children's attorney is a waste of time. They don't have to talk to you, and they don't have to do what you ask. So. Okay. And it sounds like. And it sounds like they're not on your side. So don't call them and don't talk to them. You're just going to be giving okay. them evidence to support their position that you shouldn't get the children. Okay? okay. Uh-huh. So you're the maternal grandmother? Yes. Okay. So hold on. Let me look up something. Uh, it sounds like you're... Daughter, the mother was only given six months to reunify, and then after that, they are going to terminate her reunification services, or they have terminated her reunification services. And the next court hearing in 120 days is going to be able going to be to determine terminate her parental rights. At which point, the foster parents will adopt, and you and the mother will no longer be related to the children, and you won't have any rights. Right. So, what you but here's the good news. Within that seven day period, you don't have to file the petition. You have to file the notice of intent to file a writ petition. The mother has right. to file it, not you. Not you. Okay.
2: Right, but her attorney and won't her her attorney won't return our call to file it. So if my daughter files that notice of intent to file a writ petition, it will be denied because she has attorney of record.
0: Okay, that's not true. Oh, okay. Who told you that? Who told you that?
2: Uh, In previous experiences, if I've had an attorney of record, the court clerk won't accept anything from me because I have an attorney of record.
0: Okay. So that's not the rule. Um, I'm not saying that your county won't deny it, but... um, there's something called file on demand in the i think it's in the government code in California. If you go to a clerk's <laughs> office and say I want this filed and they say no, you can demand that they file it and give you a stamped copy proving that you filed it.
2: Okay. Okay. Well, we'll do that Tuesday.
0: Do you know how to file a notice of intent to file a writ?
2: Um the only thing I've done is I've looked at the um, the official forms and they are specific to like appealing, filing a writ for denial or denial of services or denial of placement or denial, um, termination of parental rights, which doesn't fit perfectly because what we're asking for is the hearing on relative placement. So I'm thinking maybe we may just have to kind of do an impromptu, here's what the judge did, here's the order. She refused to hear relative placement issue, and that's what we're finally writ about. Okay, so do you have any legal training? No.
0: Okay. Here's the problem. The problem is, is that you're right about a lot of things, but you're wrong about a lot of things, and it's going to taint the strategy and where you would have had a winner on something you're going to turn it into a loser cuz you you're you're not all the way right on what you're trying to do. And here's the okay. problem. And I'm you know, I've been telling this to a lot of clients the past year cuz it's something that I just figured out. You have a sense of justice. All right? And that that sense of justice is based upon your experiences, your beliefs, and what people tell you or what you've read. The problem Mm -hmm. is it's not real justice. Real justice is based upon laws, rules, and and appellate cases, which I'm going to assume you know very little about. Now, here's a really big problem. Your sense of justice and real justice, there's an intersection of about 95% by definition, that means that you're 95% wrong. But like most human beings, including myself, you know, when we think we know something or a little bit about something, like we're 5% correct, we just assume Mm -hmm. we're 100% correct on everything, and we're not. Okay. And the biggest struggle for a lot of attorneys is they're trying to pull the client over to real justice when the client's thinking about their sense of justice. And then at the same time, the client's trying to pull the attorney over to their sense of justice and to leave real justice. So, you know, there's this big conflict and from talking to you, I get the sense you're very confident, you're very well educated and you're trying to do this, but you you're doing it the wrong way. So the the, the writ that you want, the notice of intent that you want to file is a judicial Mm -hmm. council form in California. You're going to need somebody to help you fill it out, or you're going to file it incorrectly. I guarantee you. Because I feel yeah, that. I'm sure I will. You know, I filled, and, and then if you fill it out incorrectly and it gets denied or rejected, then you're SOL. Yeah. And you're going to be complaining yeah. that everything's unfair. But the problem was, you didn't know the rules of the game. Yeah. There's a lot of rules. I'm trying, to
2: find, I'm trying to follow the rules, and that's why I'm asking you. What rules, yeah, what do I have to file? you you got about six hours. We can talk about that. Yeah. I mean, no, you don't have the right? six hours, I mean, but I appreciate the time you're giving me. Thank you.
0: So, uh, you know, find a lawyer up, up in your area or somewhere that can go over this with you and do this for you and instruct you on how to do it. Don't try to do it yourself please, you're going to make a mistake. You make a mistake, yes. they're going to be costing. Yeah. Okay? Yeah, thank you. All righty, very well. Um, how did you hear about our show up in Butte County?
2: Um, I called your office several months ago when this dependency proceeding started, and um, you've been sending me emails about your radio show, and this is the first opportunity that oh. I had to listen to. Mm-hmm. Very good, very good. Okay.
0: Well, very good. Good luck to you.
2: If you have any other questions,
0: give us a call at the office, all right?
2: Will do. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Okay. I see that our guest is on the line. We're running about three minutes late. Let me bring her on the line. Yes. Good. Me- good Hi. morning. Hi. Good morning. How are you?
3: I'm doing fine. How are you?
0: Good. You know, I had an outline that I wanted to use in your interview. Let me find it. Okay. What's your name?
3: My name is Crystal Booth, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker in California.
0: And what do you do for people that have juvenile dependency cases?
3: Well, um... Basically, I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and I, what I do is I provide the individual therapy, uh, sometimes if they need the couples therapy, the groups, such as the domestic violence groups or the family therapy, reunification therapy uh, group uh, sessions, uh, family therapy sessions that they may need that the court may order them to uh, complete or do.
0: These well, are, are family
3: Mm-hmm. These are families that are interacting in the legal system in some way. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Oh. Are you uh, where are you located? I'm located in actually three locations. I have a Pasadena office, uh, downtown L.A. Uh, the Pasadena office is on Colorado, and then we have an office in downtown L.A. in the Wells Fargo building, and we have an office in Lancaster that should be uh, open sometime in March.
0: Okay, I'm going to at the at another part of the show. I'm going to ask you to give that information, but I want to follow up on something that you said. Um, so I gather you're you're approved by DCFS in uh, Los Angeles County to provide services.
3: Yeah, I'm uh, approved because I'm a licensed clinical social worker and I'm uh, I have I'm certified in various treatment modalities that uh, are accepted by the DCFS system
0: okay tell tell me what treatment modalities you're certified in.
3: well seeking safety um, we do um, also we do uh, breakthrough parenting we do um, let's see we do trauma treatment different types of trauma treatment um, you know things like that we do let me say seeking safety domestic violence we I'm a certified domestic violence counselor. I do trauma treatment. I have a special trauma treatment that I do for domestic violence. So, so yeah, I'm uh, doing evidence-based practices pretty much.
0: Okay. All right. Well, let me ask you something. Let's assume that I have a DCFS case and that the social worker and or judge has told me I have to do take a parenting class. Can I take that parenting class with your organization? Absolutely. Okay. Let's say the judge has told me, Mr. Davis, you have to do uh, domestic violence counseling for perpetrators. Do you do that type of counseling?
3: Actually, um, I have someone that I refer that out to. But yes, we we have we have connections to be able to get that help clients get that done as well.
0: Okay. Let's assume that the judge and social worker has told me, Mr. Davis, you have to take domestic violence counseling for. Um, Victims. Do you do that?
3: Yes, I, I, I do that in my office. Correct.
0: Okay. Let's say that the judge or social worker has told me, Hey Mr. Davis, you gotta do some counseling for substance abuse. Do you do that?
3: I do that in my office. And also we do drug testing as well.
0: Okay. Here. Are you yes. one of are you one of the places that uh DCFS in, in LA County accepts the random drug test from you?
3: I'm not certified with DCFS. I just do drug testing, period. It's part of my program.
0: Okay. Um, What about if the judge told me, hey, Mr. Davis, you need to do anger management counseling? Do you do that?
3: Yes, I do. We do anger management as well.
0: Okay. What if the judge told me, hey, Mr. Davis, you need to do sex abuse counseling because I think you sexually abused your child? Do you do that?
3: I refer out for that as well. I'm trying
0: to think what other things the judge could ask me to do.
3: Well, so, um, they, they ask for, uh, you know, sex sexual abuse awareness, which we do here in our offices. Sexual abuse mm-hmm. awareness, yes.
0: Yeah, that's a big one in a lot of cases. The mother or the father have to do that sexual abuse awareness uh, counseling. Absolutely. Well, not, and
3: co-parenting we, also. Parenting. Mm-hmm. Co-parenting, co-parenting, we co-parenting,
0: we do that as well. I hadn't thought about that one. Um, mm-hmm. You know, not only is that ordered in a lot of juvenile dependency cases, uh, requested by CPS or ordered by the judge, that comes a lot comes up a lot in family law cases, where you know people are having problems co-parenting.
3: Absolutely. So it's good to
0: know that. You, so it's good to know that you do that as well.
3: Um, mm-hmm.
0: You know. Now that we know what um, what you uh, services you provide, tell us a little bit about yourself presently.
3: Okay, presently, I'm a, a licensed clinical social worker. I'm actually a graduate of University of um, Southern California, USC. And uh, just a little, a little bit about my background, um, I myself went through a lot of trauma as a child growing up. I'm actually from Detroit, Michigan. And I went through a lot growing up because um, I grew up in a polygamous home. And typically if you grow up in that kind of a home, it's a lot of dysfunction, a lot of abuse, um, just a lot of neglect, things like that. And what that did, it kind of shaped me in so many ways because it kind of put me to the attention to wanting to heal and, and wanting to restore myself from the environment that I grew up in. And so, when I started to see what was happening to a lot of the families and how they were being how they were going through similar traumas or either just being separated from their parents and various things like that, I got really interested and I really wanted to kind of make an impact in that area. I wanted to kind of make some changes or help people to make some changes for themselves so um so yeah, I wanted to help basically help families reunite and heal
0: very good. You know, you mm-hmm. used the term. I'm not sure all of our listeners know that. What What did you mean by you grew up in a polygamous home?
3: Well, that's when my father had two wives.
0: I see. Okay.
3: hmm More than one
0: yeah. one wife. Okay.
3: I guess it could be more than one husband, actually. Now that I think about it, but in this case, it was more than one wife. Okay.
0: So that's kind of your story and how you, I guess, how you got involved with this area.
3: Mm-hmm. How I got involved was through trauma, the, the trauma that I ex- experienced in the dysfunctional families. Um, so I feel like a lot of the families that I serve, they have different kinds of trauma, all kinds of trauma. Um, and that trauma, what that trauma does to them is it, um, it causes them to react in certain ways that, you know, obviously it's outside of, some of it's outside of the legal system. Sometimes they react and they do things that probably they shouldn't or normally wouldn't do. And then that causes them to lose their children. And and then the children then, of course, get, re-trauma, get more traumatized because they're separated from their parents. And most kids don't want to be separated from their parents for whatever reason. And so... I wanna help those families to educate themselves about what, what the trauma did to them, how the trauma caused them to react that way, how the trauma made them think and feel and, and react and be and and then how that that interaction uh is affecting the child. So so that's what I, I'm I'm really interested in doing. I'm really interested in helping the families really identify those foundational traumas in their life.
0: Well, you know, You know, I kind of understand what you're saying, but do me a favor and give me a specific example of a trauma that could lead a person to do something that could lead to losing the children.
3: I would say a very, very prevalent one is domestic violence. Um, I have so many domestic violence cases that I work with. Um, Just a child witnessing their parents fight, argue, um, just, just all that kind of chaos. Is really really impactful, really impactful for for the for the client to um, try and heal from, and the, the child to see and all of that kind of thing, and even for the parent to to deal with. You know, I mean, I'm sure that the, the parent is the parent is traumatized, depending on who the uh, uh, the person who is the aggressive one in the in the situation, and sometimes both of the parents are aggressive. Um, a lot of cases, the DCFS cases, sometimes it's two parents that are fighting, and sometimes it's Uh, a a parent that's being abused so it's it's all kinds of things going on um in these cases and i kind of help the families to really understand how those little simple things that they think they're doing that doesn't really mean mean a lot really really does impact the child really does impact them really does impact the family and the functionability and how that led to them you know getting separated and then helping them to heal and help and helping um the system to see that this family is, is can recover. This family can uh not only recover but they can also heal and they can thrive eventually um as a family. That that they permanent permanent uh separation is not you know, not something that you know, has to happen here. You know what I mean? These families can can uh restore.
0: So okay. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things, what came first, the chicken or the egg? So what causes, what do you think are the, some of the major causes of domestic violence between
3: parents? I would say that they themselves witnessed it from their parents oftentimes. And then even our, in our society today, there's so much violence. It's so, again, prevalent. It's so easy to ignore and be in denial about, Um that it's not a big deal, you know, and um, it really does affect us. It really does cause us to, you know, see things in a certain way and react in a certain way and be a certain way. And and it, it, a lot of my clients get really traumatized. They have a lot of anxiety and depression um, from, from that type of trauma. So that's just one of the traumas. That's not even – there's so many more that I work with.
0: Well, tell me about some others that you work with.
3: Some other kinds of traumas that clients will go through is trauma from um, just psychological trauma, just maybe parents just ignoring them or neglecting them, and how that began to make them feel and how they begin to develop as a person from being neglected. It, that that's a big trauma right there, or or just um, putting them down or and not validating them properly, help, giving them healthy validation and encouragement and things like that. All of those things can begin to develop psychological trauma in a person's mind, and I have so many clients that uh, that go through that. Uh, just just any of those kinds of things. It's so many. I, I honestly can't pull them all up today, but it's quite a bit.
0: So let me ask you a question. This is kind of a from a personal, my own personal experience. Are you saying that if a parent doesn't give a child the right type of validation and support, that it could lead to the child leap down the, the wrong path for that child?
3: Absolutely. It could lead to the child feeling um, unsupported, feeling unloved, then become uh, not knowing how or uh, having an understanding of how to love themselves, which can then cause them to become very codependent and get into bad relationships, which then further causes them to get abused. It is a reciprocal effect. One thing leads to the next.
0: Very interesting, very interesting. Tell Tell our listeners what you can do for them if they have a juvenile dependency case that's open.
3: Well, for starters, I can begin to educate them. I'm I'm really big on psychoeducation. I can begin to help them to... Uncover the and discover those foundational uh, ideas and understandings, just the belief systems that they may have that may be affecting them, may be affecting their life, may be affecting them thinking about what they need to do next in their life and moving forward on it.
2: Um,
3: it's it's really real. Yes.
0: Um, you know, if I were to enroll in parenting at your uh, one of your facilities. I mean, how how does that work? Do I come once a week, once a month? How does and well, how long do I stay there for class?
3: Yeah, well, you would come once a, once a week. Um, the class is about an hour. Um, and you know, pretty much that you would come once a week and you would get homework too. Actually, I give out homework, so it's really kind of an educational, um, kind of like a matriculation thing. And what I do over here is I do like sometimes a four-hour block where People will come in. They'll need to do, let's say, domestic violence, uh, let's say parenting, domestic violence, uh, substance abuse, and maybe they need to do counseling, individual counseling. And so on a Saturday, what you can do is you can come to my office and you can do all those. You can kind of matriculate through the classes and be here with me for about four hours a day, maybe even bring a lunch, and then I'll teach you all of the stuff that you need to know about your trauma. And we'll go over it, and, and even I'll help you even do a lot of different exercises I do to help people, um, mindfulness healing exercises that I help people to do to release a lot of that trauma because a lot of the trauma stays in the body. Um, it's, a, it's a, Actually, there's a book out called The Body Keeps Score, and all the trauma and all the things that they've went through over the course of their life stays in the physical body. And so I help them to release a lot of that trauma. And what it does is it helps them to rewire their brain and helps them to really think differently, understand differently, be able to have different belief systems. Whereas maybe before when they would go and talk with people, they couldn't speak up for themselves, they couldn't talk for themselves, they couldn't do the things that they needed to do for themselves, they come back and they say, oh, I was able to leave the the domestic violence relationship. I was able to go and buy a car. I was able to go and, you know, do what I need to do uh, for myself. Or I was able to to focus and concentrate on taking care of my, my child and, and not get distracted with so many other other things that are out here. So it's a it's a lot it's a lot that they learn when they come to the to the uh, the classes on a Saturday. They can come they can come to treatment any day of the week, but those are the days right now that I'm providing classes Saturdays and Sundays because I want to be able to have that, that nice four hour block time period to kinda work with them in various areas.
0: So I could come to your location and receive this group or individual counseling on Saturday and Sunday as well as during the week?
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, the classes, I don't do the classes during the week now. I mean, I can start up a class. If I have enough people, I could do that. But right now, um, the ones that I can provide are on Saturday, and then uh, I actually am having going to have some Spanish classes on Sundays. Excellent, excellent. So tell me the address and the hours at each of
0: your three locations.
3: Okay, so my address is 1055 East Colorado Boulevard, uh, Pasadena, California. And uh, my other office address is 355 South Grand Avenue. That one is in Los Angeles, California. And then the other one, is, which is going to be opening in March, is 43845 10th Street West in Lancaster, California.
0: Very good, very good. Is there a central number that um, people could call to talk to you or to enroll in different classes and counseling?
3: Sure, it's 661-402-1545.
0: Say that one more time, I didn't get that right, write it down.
3: Uh, 661-402-1545.
0: Now that number is for all three locations?
3: Absolutely. You call into the main number there and you can it'll put you to either the any of the locations in Pasadena, Los Angeles, or Lancaster.
0: Okay. Now, I had heard a rumor that you are in the process uh of writing a book. Tell us about that.
3: Oh, yes. The new endeavor. I'm excited about it. Basically going to be writing a book, and it's pretty much going to be helping people to uncover and discover more of that foundational trauma. Um, It's going to really provide details of how to how to uncover your trauma, because there's a lot of trauma is very nuancy. People don't know that it's trauma; they think, oh, that's normal because they see it in everyday life. Sometimes people have such levels of denial that in order for me to work with them, I have to get through all of those defense mechanisms first, all those um, areas of denials or blockages or avoidance in order to, to, to get to, to the trauma so that the person can see, oh, I actually have trauma. I have to work with them with the vulnerabilities and things like that. So I'm really going to teach people how to do that in the book, how to, how to go in and find the trauma, and then once they tr- find the trauma, how to, um, to really get an understanding of how that trauma affected them all the various many ways that a pharma, that particular trauma may have affected them and then how to eventually release it and heal it cuz you can heal the trauma and you can release the trauma from your body um but you just got to know how to how to uh, get in touch with the trauma and connect the trauma to your brain and the trauma has to connect and um and that's the kind of deep inner healing work I do here I actually do some Very inner good. child healing Yeah, I do some inner child healing work with people here um, uh, things like that. So so we we go pretty deep, and like I said, um, that that's what I really wanted to offer to clients who are connected to the DCFS system or the Child Protective Services system. I really wanted to offer this kind of treatment to them because I know that it's the kind of long-lasting treatment that once we heal it, once we release the trauma, the, the clients come back, they, oh, I don't have that problem anymore. Oh, I don't need to go over there. Oh, I don't need to go to... to, to keep going back to that relationship I've been in for 10 years that I know that's not working, and I don't have to keep going to a new relationship because sometimes they break up with the person and they go and find a new person who treats them similar or the same, and, oh, I don't have, I don't feel that way, or I can go get a job now, or I can go work. So, I mean, I have countless stories of people who literally, once I work with them, once I start to teach them and educate them and then help them to release their trauma, their lives literally change completely.
0: Very good, very good. You know, I don't think we've told the official name of your agency during the show. What crystal, what is the name of your agency?
3: I'm sorry, it's Wings of the Future Private Practice. And my actually my website, just to give you that, my website is Wings of the Future, the number for us dot com. So yeah.
0: Okay, the name of the agency is Wings of the Future, and the website is Wings for the Future.
3: So it's, it's Wings of the Future. The website is Wings of the Future, too. Wings of the Future, but it's the number for us. For us. Okay,
0: so the website <laughs> is Wings of the Future, the number for us, U.S. dot com.
3: Mm-hmm. Dot com, exactly. Okay. And then okay. the, um, the agency name is Wings of the Future Private Practice. And um, you can find me on the web, and also you can email me at kboothwingsofthefutureforus dot com as well.
0: Repeat that one more time slowly.
3: K b o o t h e at wings of the future the number four us dot com.
0: And just to let our listeners know, you can always uh, listen and get the transcription of this show at talkradioexperts.com. Now, Crystal, one other thing. Um, I had heard and understand that you're going to be doing a monthly newsletter. If I wanted to receive your monthly newsletter at home or at my office, would I email you, would I call you, how would I sign up for that?
3: You could, you could email me for the um, monthly newsletter to get on my email list I'm compiling the email list now, so that when that newsletter comes out, um, I'll be sending that out.
0: Okay. So all of that. So is I, I could just, should I just call you or send you an email?
3: You can send me an email. That would be probably best. At kboothwingsofthefutureforus.com.
0: Very good. Thank you. Hold on, Crystal. I have I'm looking at my outline. If there was anything else that we wanted to discuss, or I wanted to ask you, I think you have covered everything. Is there something else you'd like to tell our listeners?
3: Yeah, I I just really want to stress the treatment. Um, the treatment is really good. Um, like I said, it's 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 kind of simple, but it's very effective. Um, and what it does is it helps really address the whole person. To help them, uh, the, help them to really get in touch with themselves and what has happened to them, and how their their thinking patterns are probably aligned with that. And 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 it and I believe that it really helps the whole community, the family of course, first the person, the family, the community. And because now we have, which is the reason why I named it Wings of the Future, is because I really wanted to make an impact with children, and I felt like. The, way, the best way I can make an impact with children was to make an impact with their parents. So I figured if I could teach their parents, if I could work with their parents and help their parents to heal, then the generational patterns could stop because then that's the, the parents could then educate the children and the children would be much healthier in the next generation going forward. So that, that was really my idea with Wings of the Future from the very beginning. The Wings of the Future are, are, are the children. That's what that's what it's all about. It's all about the children, but affecting the children through the families, which then affects the community, the schools, everything. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of the times it's really a lot of this stuff that people are going through, going back and forth through even the DCFS system, having more multiple cases, mm-hmm. it's trauma that they're dealing with. So um, So that's what I really wanted to get in there, help them to heal from that trauma, and then make this larger impact.
0: Do you do also conjoint counseling between parents and children?
3: I sure do. I do family therapy, um, which is that what we call it, family therapy. And um, even I do couples therapy because sometimes the problem isn't with the children, it's with the couple, and the couple is having some problems, but they're, they're not domestic violence per se or they're not violent, but they, they have some dysfunctions in the certain things that they're doing in the home that could affect the children, and so I want to educate them, and then kind of get to maybe some things that they wanted to stop doing that they haven't been able to um, get a hold of their own behavior, and so I kind of work with them so that they can see what the core reasons are of that dis and, and that, or that addiction. Yes.
0: Well, very good. I, you know, I might have to be giving you a call from my own personal and familial situations. But I want to thank you for um, calling in this uh, morning. Uh, Maybe I can talk to you about coming on every four or five weeks and talking to our audience about about things where maybe you can provide some education for our audience.
3: I would love to do that. I love to talk about when it gets into that kind of thing, then that's when I excel when it comes to to teaching and educating. I actually was a teacher for 10 years in Detroit, Michigan, before I ever became a therapist. So sitting down and taking this information and making it where people can understand it and they can really help them and uh, apply it to their lives um, is something that just makes my heart have a lot of joy. So um, anytime, you know, just name the day.
0: All right, Crystal, thank you very much for calling in. Bye-bye.
3: Okay, bye-bye.